You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. For the first time, I was later than you today in a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm going to blame technology. You know what excuses are for? Champions. (laughs) Bracken, I got to tell you about a dream I had that you were in um, (laughs) Saturday night. I'm so excited for this. It's a weird dream. Kirk texted me Sunday and said, I had a weird dream and I'm not telling you about it until we record. I've just been waiting to find out what this was. So I'm finding out at the same time you guys are. Well, first of all, I didn't text you out of the blue. You had texted me about something first. I was going to just, you know, J hook you on this one out of the blue. But um, then I just couldn't contain myself. And I don't know if I've dreamt about you before. Like, I don't think you're like a regular... You don't make regular appearances in my dreams or anything. So this was like a one-off. I don't know about if I, if I, you know, frequent yours. I don't think, I don't think I regularly dream about people who are regular parts of my life. Yeah, that's a good point. Occasionally it'll be family, but usually it's like a random person that I haven't thought about in 20 years, or it's like a person who represents someone else, but isn't actually them. I've Outside of like Lisa or my parents or her parents, almost none of my constant characters are anyway connected to my normal life. That's a good point. People I see all the time, you don't have to dream about. But I see you every day, so that counts. Anyways, or almost every day. So I'm going to preface this with saying something that people wouldn't all know about you. And this is the only reason I can think why this dream happened. It has to have been dug up from the past is when you and I first met and um, I don't know if we were working together yet or what it was, but I called you once and it went to voicemail and your voicemail said, this is Bracken. I hate voice messages. Do not leave me a message. I will not return it. That was your voicemail. Do you recall this? period of time in your life before i knew better about how to deactivate a voicemail yeah (laughs) so bracken i'm not being like tongue-in-cheek here folks like bracken's voicemail said hey it's bracken do not leave me a message i hate them i'll see that you called and call you back i will not check them i will not check this that was his voicemail (laughs) that's unique you know that right yeah at the time i couldn't figure out how to deactivate a voicemail Right. So I just want to set the tone for this dream, I think, in hindsight. I know it's a very weird sticking point for me. <laughs> <laughs> so Bracken and I record podcasts on Mondays for Tuesday. So right now Bracken and I are chatting on Monday, and this will be released on Tuesday for our training Tuesday. And I kept – this is in my dream now. I kept trying to get a hold of you on Monday, being like, Bracken, when are we recording? I, when, when are you free today? And I kept texting you. And you never responded. And now it was like time for me to go to work in the afternoon, which means my window is closed. And you did not get back to me. And I was frustrated. And so I was like, I'm calling this guy. So I call you in in my dream. I call you and it goes right to voicemail. And I remember it verbatim. And it was like, hey, you've reached Bracken. Don't leave me a voicemail. 
I got cast as Lance Armstrong in a movie about his life, and they need my bald head for the brain surgery scene. <laughs> I'm busy all day. <laughs> wow. Don't leave a message. And then, and then, and then I was sitting there like, I don't think I'm going to leave a message. And you got cast <laughs> as Lance Armstrong for a brain surgery scene, and they needed your bald head. That was what you left in your voicemail. And then I remember hanging up the phone. And I was like, "What was that?" And then I like, I, I woke up. It was like the in and outs of the morning sleeping. You know how mm-hmm. dreams can get sometimes. Like that. I was like, "Did that? Did that just happen?" So, anyways, congratulations on your role. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, how did how did it go? Deep down, I was hoping for something really uncomfortably sexual. No, but this was a pleasant surprise. This is that's the kind of thing that's so random it could only like your brain could only come up with it while you're asleep. It doesn't make any sense. But you said twice in the message about them needing your bald head for a brain surgery scene. So whatever. And you sounded very proud. Your voice was very proud in the in the voice message. So it was super weird. And then I don't know if we recorded or not. I never got to talk to you about it. So that's it. That's the first dream I think I've had about you maybe ever. Well, I had called you Saturday afternoon, and you didn't answer. That's true. So I wonder if that played into it in some capacity. I was calling to brag. Okay. I only call you if I need information or to brag. <laughs> and I was calling okay. to brag to you. And I, you didn't answer. I was at a graduation party. Oh, were mm-hmm. you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was calling to brag how tough I was. Because I have been dragging my feet on doing any sort of workout that is kind of time trial based. Something that will tell me where my fitness is located right now. Repeating a a workout that I've done in the past so that I could finally get some semblance of clarity. And I decided I was going to go over to the West L Central cross country course and run the course. Hmm. I didn't want to time trial it. But I did want, because I wanted to do another workout again, you know, two days after. But I wanted to run it hard enough that it would give me a picture of where I was at. And I was about to call you on the way there as an accountability call because I was really afraid I was going to drop out at two miles. Oh. But I decided not to. Like, I'm I'm 36. (laughs) I can just, I've got to be able to at some point run a 5K without calling Kirk beforehand. So I was calling you right after to say, I waited till the hottest part of the day with the highest humidity to do this because that's what Palmerton will be. And I was proud that I didn't mm-hmm. have to call you and I still finished. Nice. And did it go well? It went as well as it could have. Yeah. Okay. You know how, when you haven't run a pace specifically something like a mile or a 5k or something shorter and faster, any given stride, you can't tell if you're running like 88% or 98% you're running like, am I running way too slow? Yeah. hundred. Yeah. You don't know how close you are to the tipping point. Yeah. There were times in the, just in the first half mile, like seven different times. I thought, I think I'm running like 85% of what I should be right now. And others like 15 strides later, I think, I think I'm about to tip over because you just have no history with that. No recent history with that stride. So that's how the whole thing felt. I was trying to run identical just run even splits the whole time and and i and that's what i ended up being able to do so it was it was good 
But uh, it wasn't insanely fast, but it was at that effort in that time of day, it was faster than I thought I'd be able to run on that day. So I was happy with it. Um, but you, yeah, you didn't answer, so I didn't get to brag to you. Grass makes a big difference. It does. Big difference. I think it, unless you're running on groomed cross country, like groomed golf course, cross country style grass, which is different. That's yeah. like a five second a mile deal, five to seven. I think if you're running on park grass, that's either lumpy or soft or too long. Like you're talking 10 seconds a mile minimum difference between that and a road or that and a track. I really believe that. Like I'm not, I don't know what you ran exactly. I think you hinted at somewhere in the upper 16s, but like, um, makes a big difference dude, for sure. So you always have that feather in your cap too. I didn't kick. I didn't get out hot. I walked off the line and tried to just clip right into one stride and hold that stride the whole time. Uh, it got hard. The, the third mile was was tough. I basically just uh, spammed myself with guilt and ridicule from two miles till like two and three quarter to keep myself running because I was just uncomfortable and didn't want to do it anymore. I was happy with that. Figured put that on a road, drop 20, 20, 30 seconds off that. Maybe I'm in sixteen thirty shape. Oh, yeah. Putting your foot to the flame two weeks out from Palmerton. I agree with that decision as well. Yeah. And that was actually three weeks out, I believe. Palmerton's the 14th. Is it Palmerton the 9th? No, Palmerton. That's right. Utah's the 9th. You're right. Palmerton. No, you're right. You're right. Okay. Palmerton's <laughs> the week after Utah. Don't let. No, you're right. My bad. Okay. Well, good. Good for you. I ran into a little, um, you know, you've, you've kind of coy coined the phrase pay now or pay later. I feel like that was out of your mouth and I've taken it and run with it on my own. And I, uh, didn't listen to our own advice here and I've run into a little bit of shin problems. Um, I chose not to pay now last week and I knew I was riding a line. I just needed that one last workout before, cause I have a race this weekend, the Afton 25 K, which is on Saturday. And I'd like to break the master's course record, which is going to be a big feat. And you know, we all have our process in our lead in like we, if and I think I got pretty dialed with my body now after all these years, somewhat. I really mm-hmm. wanted to hit my last workout on Saturday, and I knew the day before and the day before that that my body needed another day before I ran again. My shins just haven't recovered from a big cement downhill effort I did two weeks ago. They've been a historical problem of mine. I said, no, I need I need this. Stupid. Stupid, 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 stupid. Uh-oh. I probably won't run Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. I'll probably take three days in a row off this week just to give them, like, I'm on the line. So I'm going to have to take your advice. I should have paid now last week, and now, unfortunately, I have to pay twice this week. And give, instead of giving them an extra day last week, I'm going to have to give them three days this week. See how that compounding interest adds up, folks? And even me, who knows in quotes what he's, he should know better, so I bike today. I'm going to bike tomorrow instead of run. I'll do a little speed session Wednesday, and then I'll see if I need to go all the way to race day without running again or maybe squeeze in a shakeout the day before. But gets the best of us even, folks. But pay now. If I could have went back, I'd been like, Kirk, you know better. I would have told myself last week. So I should have called you, Bracken. I should have called you. You better hope I pick up because I'm not listening to that voicemail. <laughs> Are you talking like stress reaction territory? Oh, yeah. Are you approaching a stress fracture? Just before. I don't think so. No. I think I'm on the right side of it. I mean, I believe that. But So what's 17 miles of racing going to do? Nothing. If I told, if I race, it'll be ready to race. Um, that's why I'm taking extra time now, I think, to make sure I am good for that. But 
just wanted to get that PSA out there for any of you. I'm sure there's one or two of you struggling with something and you're waffling, like, should I run tomorrow? If you have to ask the question, you can't afford it. And the answer is no. And even me fell victim to that, that same thing. So I'm not saying it's the end of the world at all. And I'm going to go race fantastically. I'm not, this is no race excuse crap. I'm this has nothing to do with how well I'm going to race it has everything to do with just trying to help other people not be an idiot. That's it. All right. Well, I have two responses to that, Kirk. Yeah. First is I do have to give credit where it's due. I didn't come up with pay now or pay later. I may have cannibalized it for the running community, but I got it from Daniel Cormier. Um, he and uh, Dominic Cruz, they use it in their MMA commentary about when you get taken down to the mat and mm-hmm. you have to get up off the mat, but you might have to just eat some shots and burn some energy on the way up. But sitting down there pulling guard and keeping them under control like they're eventually going to to crack you so you either got to pay now and get up or you're going to pay later by just getting ground and pound for the rest of the fight so and i always thought Mm -hmm. i really like that that analogy like it's got you're going to get hit either way you might as well get hit while you're fresh and while you have time to undo the damage and get back on the right Mm -hmm. side of the scorecards and win this thing rather than slowly just get ground into the into the ground and then you're done so they came up with it. I cannibalized it. Okay. Second thing. I like it either way. I suppose it's confessional corner time. Do you take what I said as a confession? I didn't feel like it was a confession. I thought it was more a PSA. It was a PSA, but it brought a confession out of me. I've, I've got a little calf thing. Okay. Sitting here. Uh, this has happened. This happened the last time I sharpened for a race. I haven't sharpened for a race since 2019, Kirk. Okay. Everything else I've hit on like stage two of training, which is just leaving base building. <laughs> Everything else I've done, even high rocks with Rich, when I sharpened for like 13 days or something, it wasn't sharpening because they're running at high rocks like half marathon pace or 10K pace. So the last time I did it was for Jacksonville when I roomed with you, where I sharpened down with a lot of 3K and 5K work. And I strained my calf in my last big workout. And then uh, babied it for a week and then ran a six-mile tempo on pavement. You know, not the workout you did, but it was on rolling hills. It was probably mm-hmm. a couple hundred feet of, of concrete hills in that six-mile. And then that set me back. And I didn't run until the day before Jacksonville with you where 30 seconds in the run, you're like, are you limping? It's like, ah, uh, shoot. And then I, I tore it the next day one mile into the race. Actually, like 0.93 into the race. I didn't even make it a mile. Mm-hmm. So that's the last time I had this happen, and this is the same thing. I'm coming off of slow building, a lot of uphill work, so my calves have been stressed and fatigued but not really hitting the ground, and now I'm starting to do faster work and prepping for this 3K, and I'm starting to wake up the day after the workouts with significant calf pain, but then it goes away, and then I can get the next one done, but each time it's appearing a little earlier and lasting a little longer, so... I'm on the edge with this calf. It's the other calf this time. Huh. Well, that's not really a confession. It's just, um, it's, it's, well, it's don't be an idiot, right? Just don't be an idiot. Well, the confession is that I haven't told anyone about it because I don't want to be told don't be an idiot because I have to get intensity in because I'm not bringing fitness to the table here in Palmerton. So I've got to bring toughness. And the only way I can get Mm. 3K toughness is through 3K intensity. But if you can't get to the start line with confident, then it's all for naught. Correct. And because I have nothing else waiting this year, 
I've been comfortable riding the line. Like if it goes, it goes. I wasn't going to miss a race next month because I don't have a race next month. But uh, it's not a good strategy. So right after this, I'm going over to the Rock Ski Hill and I'm doing an incline and downhill session. I haven't touched downhill in two weeks now because I've been afraid of my calf. So I'm announcing ahead of time my intention to injure it, is I guess what I'm saying. (laughs) I don't even know. What do you want me to say to that? Nothing. Just putting it out there that two people who talk about this for a living are making dumb decisions in their own training. Right. Well, I'm not. My intention wasn't to injure myself, nor have I, first of all. Nor is mine. That was sarcasm. I know. I caught it. But there's still lessons to be learned. I don't know. If I were you, I would be uh, I'd be lower impact, at least maybe like replace one run a week. Something. Something can give, right? Oh, I've already replaced the runs. I'm running nothing but quality at this point. Uh, all right. We might have to dive into that one off mic, Bracken. Okay. We'll, we'll move on. But you pulled that out of me. Okay. Well, be be smart. Be smart. Now we're going to have to ask for updates. and so. No, 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 no. Um, okay. Well, let's hope it's all fluke. Um, all right. We uh, we should dive into kind of wrapping up our mini-series that we, um, we've just done. We dove into speed intervals three weeks ago, threshold mm-hmm. work two weeks ago, the long run, more specifically the quality long run last week. And then we're going to take, it might be a quicker episode, but we're going to put a bow tie on it all, right? We're like, now we're going to mash it all together and tell you how to put the last three weeks, sort of how to move the puzzle pieces, so to speak. That's what we're doing today. Yeah. Preseason, in-season, race season. Those are the three stages of most runners' years. And then obviously there's off-season, but off-season's kind of preseason. So what do you do? in your main block of training throughout the year and what do you do right before you race and then what do you do in the other parts of the year it's all really subjective but everything we talk about here in terms of training theory is subjective the science is objective the theory and how you put it together is subjective so we're sticking with the subjectivity that we brought to each one of these and we're going to show how we believe that most people would benefit from putting things together It's just like the long run episode where I said the long run is overrated and it's the least useful of all the quality workouts. That is a subjective reasoning and it doesn't stop me from programming the long run for myself and for the people I work with. I just value it less than I value threshold work, for example. So this is all opinion, but it's steeped in science and in several decades of combined experience here. So go into it just knowing that what we're about to say is not gospel. It's the thing that we believe in strongest at this point in time. Yeah. I mean, isn't most everything we say on this podcast subjective and opinion-based? Very, very few times do we cite fact or peer-reviewed studies it's mostly objective. And I think, so I think we can... And we, we announce can. it when we do. Yeah, that's right, we do. I've just seen a few places online where people will uh, quote something that we say. And then people will say whether it's true or not. And the facts can be true or not. Opinion can be valid or not. But there's a difference between those two. Mm-hmm. Like my opinion may not be valid to you, but it's very valid to me. And other people like me or in my situation. So just remember that we deal with fact and we deal with opinion on here. Today is going to be a lot of opinion based on the facts we have in front of us. 
Sure. So basically, we're going to take the three components of the last three weeks episodes, and we're going to we're going to walk you guys through when to put the emphasis on what in which phase of training. If I'm understanding sort of the overarching theme, um, this is a little bit more Bracken's brainchild than mine, but I say we start well. Let's go. Let's go off season, preseason, in season, and let's maybe we can mash off season and preseason together. But why don't we? Why don't you start, and then I'll kind of actually play cleanup or ride off of your waves here. Okay. Way back in the day when I was just graduating college and starting to dive into all these things, I saw a quote from Renato Canova. And he's this, at this point, old in his mid to upper 80s Italian coach who resides now, I think, full time in Africa and coaches a bunch of groups there. But he also coaches, like he, he just coaches high level groups for a living now. He's been part of several different countries, national federations, and coaching their athletes. But he had this mind for how to coach athletes that I've always respected. And English is his second or third language, which makes it really fun to hear his things. Because like someone who learns the language and has a huge amount of knowledge, but a more limited vocabulary, they spit it out in very black and white terms. I've always really appreciated how non-English speakers speak our language. We fill our, I'm example number one, we fill our sentences with a excess of words that could probably be removed. And, and this Italian coach just speaks in absolutes, and I always really like that about him. So anyway, mm. he said something, though, that was great. He, he used an analogy for the first time, and he said, building a great training plan is like following a recipe for building a cake. You don't start by making the dough and then just water, sugar, flour. That's all we work with. And now we want to start adding in some of the frosting on the top. So we're going to take away all the sugar and add in the frosting. And we get ready for sprinkles. We don't take away the frosting and put the sprinkles on. Like As you're making any sort of recipe, everything builds off what's there and it remains there in the recipe. You don't substitute one ingredient out for the next step. It's kind of a sloppy analogy, but I, I really like it. And he was saying that's the problem with a lot of people's training. In the offseason, they do one thing. They build it up to the highest level, and then they switch to the next style of training, and they go all in on the next thing, and they leave that other piece behind. And then they get to the third stage, and now things have really started to atrophy, and you either have to add it back in or you have to race without it. And he's saying, as we work on skills, we never remove pieces from the equation. We only add more pieces and adjust the frequency. Mm. So, and so that's a long explanation for how I think about preseason, in-season, and sharpening, which is we only add pieces to the pie throughout or begin with all the pieces we're going to want to work with. We just play with the, the frequency and duration of these type of ingredients throughout the year. So with speed work, with threshold work, and with long runs, they should be present, in my opinion, all year round. And so starting with preseason is the perfect time to build up the skill of doing all of these and build up the resistance to the impact and the training load of doing all of these. Does that make sense as an intro to you before we get into anything specific? Yeah. Um, a, a cake is not a cake unless there's cake in the cake. Right. That's what you just said. Cake ain't, ain't a yeah. cake. If you, your training isn't training if you remove the cake and all you're doing is scooping frosting and sprinkles, you're gonna, that right. cake's going to suck. 
when you eat that final product, you taste every ingredient you used along the way. Right. That's a very good point about people often compartmentalizing too much. Like I'm out of my base building and into a threshold block and then I'm done with threshold and now I'm flipping the switch into speed because it's racing season. And pretty soon your cake just deteriorates and deteriorates and the layer of cake is so little at the bottom that the frosting is overwhelming and it's garbage. You don't even want to finish it. It's a worthless piece of cake. And so I think what you're outlining is that the fundamentals to training all need to be there at all times, but the cake, the most important part of your fitness, is still going to be there through all of these phases. So I think what you would like to outline is what's the cake and why it needs to be there at all seasons or phases of training. But I'll let you continue, but that analogy made sense to me. Okay, cool. And it it justifies why I'm about to say what I'm about to say, which is, I start my off-season with speed work, threshold work, and long runs. And I continue my season with those three, and I sharpen with those three. I just change the emphasis. So I write plans for people that will say base building block, threshold block, sharpening block. But my threshold block includes speed work and long runs. It's just what is the point of emphasis. So the off-season point of emphasis for me serves two purposes. One, you're building the skill and the resistance to the impact and the stress of what you're doing. And that can be done in very small doses. And they need to scale up as the off-season goes. And you're building up the workload. The ability to put in certain amounts of work that are required to handle what's going to come next. And that's really it for off-season. If there was a third component, I would call it doing... um, not too much so that you don't start to already tap into your mental reserves. The wor- the hardest part of an off-season can be how much it drags on you. And if you go way too far in on one thing, you come out not really even looking forward to the next thing. It's okay to get stale in the off-season and crave the next stage of training, but it's tough to get to the end of the off-season and, off-season and think, where do I even go from here? Mm-hmm. Like I'm already kind of wore down mentally from doing this thing. Yeah, I don't know if you get this from your ultra athletes often, but I got a slew of them right now. And they'll say, we'll be six months out from their big ultra. And they'll say, well, I thought we'd be hitting more volume right now. Like I thought we'd be, I'd be seeing three hour long runs every weekend. And I thought I'd be seeing these back to back days and whatever. And I'm like, that is not sustainable. The off season doesn't mean that's your peak volume and peak everything because you're only going to have to whittle the spoon down until racing season. No, like actually intensity and volume will rise just before a, a peaking phase when you're in an overreaching phase. And mm-hmm. so I hear that all the time about in the off season, people thinking they're going to reach their peak volume then, but yeah. there's nowhere to turn from then and you end up burnt. So it's a really valid point especially for the ultra crowd in particular who think they need to be cramming in their biggest volume in the off season. It is not true. It's not sustainable. Anyways, it's just a side note I've been hearing this year. I'm very glad you said that because you hear that all the time. You need to build your off season to the highest volume that you're going to be able to get to so that you can then try to maintain as much of that as possible with speed work. And then you sharpen down at the last minute. And that is really true for mid distance and under. Correct. For an 800 meter runner, your highest volume is going to be the off season. Yeah, obviously. Because you're going to be running a crazy amount of speed work in season. 
for a 5K runner. You might get to 100, 120 miles a week for the pro-level 5K guys in the off-season, but they can't sustain that with speed work in-season. But what speed work are you sharpening down to for the for the marathon, for the ultra? Right. It's not super stingy. So you can build volume as your season progresses. In fact, marathoners often peak their marathon volume anywhere from three to four, sometimes five weeks out from their race. Not five months before in base season because Correct. they're not replacing that volume with a crazy amount of speed work. Preach, Bracken. Okay, so I got my little jab in there, but you can continue your um, your line of thought because I'm I'm listening. So off season, identify what we need to build so that we can build later. Yep. So for a long distance runner, what we need to be able to do later is handle long runs, handle big volume, and maintain speed. Which means you can have a speed emphasis in your off season. You can work more on the mechanics of running and the anaerobic part of running in the off season for a marathoner a classic preseason is a 10k block of training get faster and then we're going to pair it to long endurance so for an ultra runner working on lowering down your mile speed or your 5k speed it's great in the off season well i guess lowering down the time not the speed for a middle distance runner for anyone racing 30 minutes to an hour it's the time to start building up your long run <laughs> building up some longer, easy threshold work, but finding what do we need to be, lay the groundwork for now and what do we need to spend the most time doing now that we're just going to maintain later. So I think we take our average athlete, what were we saying, Kirk, between 30 minutes and two hours? I think just for, because we, we could go down so many wormholes if we start catering to mm -hmm. every end of the spectrum. This will be a three-hour episode and we want to make it an hour episode. So let's go 30 minutes to two hours. Or 5K to 5K to half. Okay. Yeah, let's go 30 minutes, two hours. Let's do that. 30 minutes to two hours. So for that athlete, the off-season is great for working on mechanical speed work. And by that, we mean running your best possible form as fast as you possibly can. And you don't, you're not using it to try to build out a crazy amount of fitness. Because speed work can be used to build your engine, and it can be used to get better at the act of running. So I like to lay the base work for that in the off-season. So any sort of athlete I work with, I like them to be doing something short and fast in the off-season, and I like them to balance that out with something also long and slow in the off-season, building up the time on feet, building up the volume, but we're not peaking any of those things. And, if, and then also, I like to one time per week touch threshold. Keep in, in, in touch with that. For some athletes, it's twice per week. For some, it's only happening in the midweek long run or in the long quality long run every other weekend. But touching all three phases in the offseason while really working on running frequency. Getting out the door as many times as possible, building your volume up, but we're not trying to peak any one of those things. But Kirk, and this might be controversial, if I had to peak one of those things, by peak I mean hit the highest amount of volume of that one thing that I'm going to hit for the entire year. If it's speed work, volume, threshold work, or long run, the only thing that I'm allowed to hit the most of in the preseason would be speed work. I might run some 20 by 200 workouts. Something, something that I will never touch throughout the year, but it's going to really enhance my skill of running fast and running well so that for the rest of the year, I can just maintain mechanical speed work as I really go to town on threshold work and long runs. How's that strike you? Um, 
It reminds me of the approach that uh, Ryan Hall took when he was coaching Hunter McIntyre. Hmm. I don't know what they did together. Ryan Hall was a uh, best uh, U.S. marathoner for a period of time back in, let's say, the late 2000s, early teens maybe. Um, he was our best chance at a medal in, the, I don't know what Olympics it was. Um, I think Athens. Then he got big and jacked, and now he lifts weights, and he's transformed himself into like a lifter. Um, but, yeah, Hunter hired him as a coach. I know they had done some running together, and he started him with like 400-meter repeats week one. And then they layered in more repeats and more repeats. And then less. he was playing a lot with shorter stuff early on, a ways out. And Hunter was surprised by that. We talked to him about it, didn't we, on the podcast? Maybe we didn't. Maybe it was a personal conversation I had with him. Hmm. But he started him off with short stuff. And I always thought that was intriguing because it wouldn't be my initial approach. But obviously, high-end accomplished athletes, um, obviously, that's a thing. So it makes me think of that right away. Well, here's my rationale for that. It's that at no point in the second or third stages of training am I going to want to dedicate an entire day or even a few days per week to running 200 and 400 meter reps or 100 and 200 or 150s or things like that where I'm spending a decent amount of time really working on that facet of running because I'm going to want to put my time into threshold work and I'm going to want quality long runs and my volume is going to be rising. But in the off-season, one of the doldrum effects of off-season, not effects, one of the things that causes the doldrum effect of the off-season is that you're just going out and running easy every day. But you're not ready yet to just get into daily or weekly, not daily, but a few times a week uh, threshold work and quality long runs and all that. You're trying to spend time on feet, build your aerobic capacity, and get ready for what's coming next. But that gets really stale. Like there's so only so many times you can string four easy runs together followed by a long run before you're just ready to be done with it. And so if you can spend that time breaking up the monotony with the skill work of running really fast with long rest, it's a great time to do it because there's nothing else in the week for a lot of these people that needs to get in the way of that recovery. And it breaks up that monotony and it's fun for a while. And eventually it's like, all right, playtime's over. We get to get to work now. But I'm also coming into all this threshold work with a top-end speed that I haven't had in a while. And now threshold form and running feels like a great reduction from that pace. Hmm. So that's my rationale for that for a lot of people. You've got to be running a lot. You're running a lot of easy and slow stuff. This keeps you from getting stagnant mentally and physically. Um, are we talking let's say preseason or off season three to six months out from heavy competition season, let's call it when you're really yeah. focused on your races. Right. So we're talking three to six months out. I think, I, I think the one thing we should clear up and I assume I know what you're going to say on this. Cause I have an opinion on it is one. We need to, we need to tell people, okay, we had our speed work episode. We had our threshold episode. We had our quality long run episode. I think we need to very specifically dive into this phase, like what that actually looks like then. And part of that, when you're talking about speed is in our speed episode, we said, well, let's just label it anything faster than let's say 5k pace, which could be mile repeats. But I don't believe, I don't believe that's what you're alluding to in this phase. You're alluding to the pointier end Correct. of the speed spear in a sense because mile repeats, goal with some rest, under mm -hmm. 5K pace turns into very, very high-end VO2 max type work. 
And that's not necessarily what you're outlining. So I figure just so we don't confuse the listeners. And I agree with you, by the way. I think we need a little less in the offseason than you, I think, than than you prefer. I think we just need like sprinkles every week. But um, we're not talking the far end of speed work, which we did address in our speed episode. So why don't you just clear that up? You're right. It needs clarification because already I'm even yeah. misrepresenting myself to you, much less the audience. So yes, if you consider 5K and faster speed work in the off season, I'm talking like mile pace, 800 meter pace, short reps, the shortest end short of it, reps. and the shortest reps of those that you could get away with. So I might go a whole a whole off season without running a rep longer than 200 meters, 3K pace, probably mile pace, 800 meter pace, hundreds or 150s at 800 meter pace, and then 200s at mile pace. That's about the end of it. And a lot of it uphill, 20 to maybe 10 to 35 seconds tops of speed, 40 at the slow end. So it's called 10 to 40 seconds worth of reps with equal to double duration recovery, probably double duration recovery in between. So like the longest I would go, and this is a workout I've done in the past, it's like 10 to 20 by 200 with 200 meter walk walk slash jog in between. So you run 200 meters, walk, jog 200 and start at 10 and work your way up to 20 by the end of the off season, one time per week. So it's the shortest duration interval that you can get any, any movement of the needle off of. And it's the fastest interval that you could consider still being part of the speed intervals before you get into sprint intervals where you're just all out blasting. This is never all out blasting. See, now we're talking. Then to clarify, I actually don't want to push for this for high volume, my only reason I went down that rabbit hole was saying, I will not max out my threshold work. I will not max out my volume. I will not max out my long run. So the only one I would even think of doing the highest volume of is speed work. But mostly I stick to speed sprinkles, mechanical speed work, sprinkles in the off season. But if I had to overdo one, that would be the one. But yeah, one time per week, sometimes two times per week, speed sprinkles. Like 10 total minutes of work or less. Now I think we're clearing the air a little bit. Good. Well, thanks for reining me in. Well, yeah, because our speed episode extended out further than that, and so, in which we, we firmly believe in. So you're talking about the pointy end of the speed spear. Um, and the big misconception in the off-season or preseason is run slow, run long, don't worry about anything else. And I agree with you. That is the exact opposite approach. What you're trying to do in the off-season is keep the speed door open. Just keep it open and accessible. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to just keep it keep it open, keep it accessible. So I'll play piggyback on, on what you're talking about in the preseason and offseason in the fact that you want to start layering in your skill work. A lot of that can be done aerobically. Let's say you know you have mountain races coming up. Well, some of your recovery runs are done in the mountains or on the incline trainer, and some of your long runs are done in the mountains or on the incline trainer. And all those other things, like whatever, you're running a road marathon, great. Then make sure your long runs are done on the roads, right? Like you're going to layer in the skill work and race-specific stuff. Just start, you're starting to seed yourself at this point. If I were to put together a perfect week in the off-season, it would very much look like what Bracken said with one very short, spicy, high turnover, high rest. We're not building that much fitness. We're building efficiency. There's a difference. Yes. 
So I'd, in, I'd plug in one of those. It's okay to take more rest then. Stay fast. They're feel-good workouts. You get done with them and you feel really good. You don't have to mentally engage a whole lot. Just has you feeling, it really gets the juices flowing nicely. Opens up the stride, makes you feel confident. That's a good thing. Also just shakes the system a little when the off-season can drag. So I agree with you. So you hit that one day a week. And then over the weekend, maybe one week you do go for your traditional long run on race-specific terrain. And then the next weekend you hit a threshold tempo work within your long run, making sure we're not missing that threshold work or even sneak it in every every week on your long run. I don't really care. Um, but what you're not doing a lot of is those mid-range intervals. You're not going three minutes hard, five minutes hard, mile repeats, seven-minute hill climbs with descent recoveries. What you're staying away from is all that mid-range stuff, which truly starts building fitness. Mm-hmm. You're going out race fitness, like heading towards your peak. Short intervals, lots of rest. Find a way to get a threshold or tempo run in every week if you can, whether it's intermixed in your long run or it's separate. And you can maintain that all throughout the off-season or preseason phase. So if you're going to put it all together, that would be the perfect stew. And that's how I'm trying to tie these last three weeks together, where to plug them in. One short spicy session, one threshold session that can often just be thrown into your long run or as a standalone, totally fine. And make sure you get on race-specific terrain to keep your skill where it needs to be once things get serious when you're within three months of what matters. If I'm going to sum it up. Perfect. How do you feel about that? I, I like that a lot. And then I'll just put some rep ranges on this. So for this short, spicy effort we're talking about, let's say the classic workout would, not classic, but let's say a full workout would be 20 by 200 meters with 200 meter jog recovery at mile pace or faster. I'm starting with 8 to 10 in the off-season, and I'm really dogging the recovery. So I'm doing half of the work and like 50% extra recovery to ensure that this doesn't become a thing. In season, a lot of times we think, could I get one more rep? Yeah, probably. Perfect place to stop. Here I'd think I could probably double this work. Perfect place to stop. 100%. And by the end of the off-season, I maybe have moved up to three-quarters of the workout. But this is not a workout that requires a recovery run afterwards. It's a workout where you can do a medium long run or just like an easy hour the next day with no second thoughts whatsoever. You don't feel bad. You feel good after this. Yep. I agree with that. So I don't know how much we want to dwell just because we need to move to the next phase. What else do you want to add to preseason? I know this is going to be a real quick bullet points episode in the phases and that's the idea. So. So what else do you think needs to add in? I think I've said my piece. Well, I'll give rep ranges for threshold then. Okay. We had talked that threshold is like that 35 to 60 minute zone. 40 to 60 maybe for the classic running terms. In the preseason, I like to alternate between those two. I'm going to do a week at that 40 minute-ish pace. And then the next week I'm going to touch the 60 minute-ish pace pace, but I'm going to do about half to two thirds of the work I would normally do. So I'm still touching those paces, but instead of going, let's say 10 by three minutes at 40 minute race pace, I'm going to do five to seven by three minutes at 40 to 45 minute race pace. And then instead of going like three by 15 minutes at 60 minute race pace, I might do three by eight minutes at 60 minute race pace. Just touching it, getting some of the fringe benefits of it, but it's really more about like, like you said, the door's open, it's accessible. I know what it feels like. I'm not getting rust built up. 
I'm not degrading my fitness, but I'm not trying to launch it forward either because I'm still building up my volume and I'm running long. This is for the, we're just dipping our toes back into training again. And then that moves us into the next stage of training, stage two, which takes up the vast majority of everyone's year. And if you set it up correctly, you could even do close to year round if you wanted to. And it's the stage you and I both love. Yeah, I live in that stage. Um, and just for clarification, I made a statement like five minutes ago about we're trying to stay away from those three minute, five minute, seven minute rep ranges. I'm referring to like you are not watching your heart rate. You're going for it on these extended intervals. Right. That's what we're staying away from. Where Bracken's outlining maybe three minute intervals at a very controlled effort and pace where you're not selling your soul to the devil or anybody. It's a very calculated within yourself prescribed yeah pacing and effort very different so just clarification so people aren't too confused that's good for the self-coached athlete i think the easiest way to do off-season workouts is to take a standard workout that you know and do it one standard deviation slower so if you love or maybe even two standard deviations if like an in-season great workout for you is six by mile at 10k pace do six by mile at half marathon or marathon pace you're still getting a lot of benefit from it but you're not taking the damage anymore. But it's not so long that it would be a full workout of an in-season version where you might do like 8 to 10 by mile at half marathon or marathon. No, you're just sticking to that like 4 to 6 by mile at half marathon or marathon. Or if you really love Kirk's 4 by 4 by 400 at mile pace, do that workout, but do it at 5K pace. Just move down the line a little bit. Do it at a slower pace. You're getting great form work, great rep work. But you, you're really not going to be beat up the next day. 16 quarters mm -hmm. at 5K pace with good amount of rest in between 4 or 5K pace really is not a taxing workout, but it's invigorating. So that's kind of the easiest rule to set up off-season work is do your normal workouts. Either do half the reps at the same pace or do a whole rep or two slower on the on, or a whole deviation or two slower on the, the race pace range. And I find people are surprised that like how good they can feel in this phase if they do the right components and how yeah. much fitness they can actually build. Um, well, not really selling out very often, if ever in workouts, it's kind of funny that people will be like, I feel really good on this sort of plan. We'll call it, but let's move into like competition phase. Then we're not peaking, but like the majority of us fall, like I got races from March all the way to November at some point, mm -hmm. And now I'm like in season and I want to maintain, I want to race well, but I'm also like, I'm keeping all ends of my or all sides of my sword somewhat ready and sharp. So why don't you start that? Well, if we just had to label this, we would call this threshold block. Kirk and I love threshold training for a few reasons. The first is that it's probably the most sustainable style of quality workouts. If you took the intensity range from it starts getting intense somewhere around, you would call marathon pace probably the slowest pace that people would prescribe pace for for an interval session, all the way down to, let's say, mile or 800 meter pace. That threshold, mm -hmm. that 40 to 60 minute race range, is probably the best bang for your buck out of all of them in terms of sustainability. You could run one to two of those workouts every week, all year long, and as long as you're not adding in too much of anything else throughout there, you don't run into danger of peaking. You might get bored, but it's also a style of workout that is endlessly variable, so you can change it up like crazy. So we like having this be the crux of our season. Second reason we really like it is that for the OCR and mountain crowd, 
this is the pace, stride, and effort you work at for the vast majority of your races anyway. So it is race-specific while also being a great engine builder and skill builder. So the vast majority, I would say, Kirk, is this fair to say that 50 to 80% of our quality work, depending on the week, is done in this zone, that 40 to 60-minute race range? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. And now speed work stays as a supplemental work, but it drops down a full notch. So if I was doing, let's say, my speed sprinkles built all the way up to like, let's say I was doing 12 or 15 by 200 one time per week with walk, jog, rest, it's moving down closer to like eight. I'm just doing enough to move the needle six to eight by 200 to finish up a run once per week at most. And it might even drop down to like 20 second hill pickups once per week. And the long runs continue to exist but they start taking on the load of quality long run where the threshold appears anyway. So once per week in the middle, every week I'm doing threshold and probably every other weekend I'm doing threshold in the long run and then speed sprinkling each week throughout. That's kind of my sustainable schedule. So just to keep down your track, which I agree with you, um, where would you plug in your speed, your top end speed now, so to speak, where would that be going? Finishers? If we're doing, let's say, Wednesday, Saturday, it's a finisher, starter, or mid-session of, let's say, Monday. Okay. That's generally where it goes. I like it as finishers. Finish up like a 40 to 60-minute easy run and run 4 to 6 by 200 on the track. Or if you have a not-so-crazy uh, fatiguing threshold workout, you finish with that same thing. That's that classic track workout, right? 4-mile tempo plus 4 to 6 by 200 afterwards a great way to just plug it in there yeah yeah so i think that's the block well i live in this block anyways every week i'm Mm -hmm. trying to find a way to touch threshold quality that may look like uh threshold a true you know what you're starting to call tempo runs with the prescribed potential pacing which is going to probably carry you through threshold most of the time threshold intervals longer extended efforts now you're looking like okay i definitely want to accumulate like 30 to 40 minutes of time in this zone. Um, Maybe your Tuesday is a longer, grindier threshold session. Your Thursday midweek long run is finished with 20-second hill sprints, let's Mm -hmm. say. And then your long run may incorporate some fartlek style in and out uh, of effort type stuff. And what you're doing is you're really going from one and a quarter to one and let's call it one quality day a week in the off season phase, one to one and a half quality days to like two and change quality days in season, we'll call it. Um, So you're just increasing your frequency in which your heart rate or your metabolism is working at a certain rate and which is going to create a fitness bump. It's also going to be more damaging. We are going to see maybe volume very ebb and flow depending on what races you have coming up. Like you're going to sort of back off into a race and then you have three weeks between. So you're going to build back up. You're not going to see those pretty um, volume graphs that you might see in the off season that are going to be very predictable, very nice and cute. And if you're OCD, they're going to look great, make you feel good. This in-season stuff may look a little more jumbled depending on if your long run is two hours or now it's 90 minutes with quality. They're going to have different stats. 
threshold intervals, depending on what you're doing, could be 12 miles of stuff, or it could be six miles of stuff. You just don't know depending on the weekend setup. So point being is this is the part where maybe your Strava graph doesn't look as sexy. You're in and out depending on what's going on with your racing and your training. But um, I think the big thing is, yeah, I think a, a full focus on threshold work once a week. And a lot of times you're layering in a second stimulus within your long run. That's the next phase for me. And all your skill work is can be contained in these threshold works workouts. There's two main ways to do it. It's that you have A week and a B week. A week you're running flat threshold, B week you're doing uphill threshold. Right. And then your quality long run consists of whatever you want it to be. It can be flat, it can be hilly or whatever. And the other style is if you're OCR, then you can have A week is running based, whether it's flat or uphill, and then B week is compromise based. And then Saturday, your Saturday quality long runs alternate between one of those, flat or hilly, and then the next time it's OCR based, compromised. And then we still like adding in that easy long run, like every other week or so throughout this time to keep yourself balanced. Yeah, I was just uh, on the bike. I stumbled upon Jakob Ingebrigtsen's general training week. Now, this was from two years ago, how they were, how he was approaching it. And they were basically, you know, they were at the time, and I'm sure they still are testing their blood lactate. And um, they were expressing how hard they were working in millimoles, the, how many MMs were working at. But mm-hmm. what they were do, what he's doing is he's doing like, a morning run of X or whatever it is. And then in the afternoon he's hitting 400 meter repeats, but their threshold intervals at two millimoles. It's very minimal damage. They're going in and out with very short recovery. And then Thursdays, same thing, thousand meter repeats, 10 to 15 of those very short recovery, attaining like four millimoles of lactate accumulation in their bloodstream. And then their big hitter every week in the off season 200 meter hill sprints where that's their biggest hitter. They're hitting eight plus millimoles of lactate accumulation, whatever that means. I could be getting that wrong. And that was when they were actually swinging pretty hard, but every single thing was actually never breaching their lactate threshold unless it was the 200 meter hill sprints apparently, which is very, very, very effective in building fitness and not very damaging because the impact is low. And you start to think now this guy's touching threshold three times a week but he's speed playing. He can run four minute pace and not breach his lactate threshold if he's getting 30 seconds rest. I'm I'm exaggerating a little there, but you understand. So he's working speed and threshold, never tipping over. They're holding back constantly. The way it was described to me is it's like, you're holding back all the time. You're always ready for your next session because you're always leaving stuff on the table because you're not going, you're not selling out every time you put your track spikes on. And so point being, the best family who, the best family, the the very accomplished family of the Ingebrigtsens. Which is true. Have, right, has demonstrated that threshold intermixed with some speed sprinkles is exactly the formula in the, in the in-season competition phase when they haven't, in quotes, added speed yet. And what would adding speed mean? That might mean 400-meter repeats with three minutes rest at 50 seconds for Jakob Ingebrigtsen. That means so fast over race pace that you need to take big rest so you can do it every time. So they just sit in this threshold phase, short intervals, short rest. And it's just like if they're doing it and they have the science to back it up, it has to work and it's sustainable for months and months on end. Yeah. Yeah. You, you summed that up pretty well. 
I don't mean to muddy the waters because that's not what we're advocating for, but a version of that that you can do from home with assurance is what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, and then what they're doing now is that Tuesday workout is a full threshold in the morning and then they do their evening and Thursday they do it again. So now they're up to four threshold sessions per week. Right. And then their Saturday is still that 20 ish by 200. And now they're adding a third mini threshold in the evening. So they're getting six quality ish workouts, but none of them are full. Some might argue 20 by 200 uphill sprints at mile effort or 800 effort is full. And it might be what we're saying is take all that work and divide it in half. Mm. And make it an A week and a B week, and now a mortal can follow that. And you can sustain it all year round. That's what we're saying. So in terms of the the volume jump, off-season, your volume can look like a ramp. It can just slightly build every single week. And the reason you can do that is because you're not having big swings of quality work, so you don't need recovery work, and you're not going to tip. So you can just run the same volume or slightly higher every week all off-season, then you reach a peak. And then your stage two starts, which is your all year long sustainable, and it's going to drop a little bit. And then it's going to look like an uphill heart rate monitor where it's going to blip up to down one, blip up to down one, blip up to down one. And it's eventually going to build up until it reaches what you were doing in your preseason volume and maybe exceed that. But because we're adding in so much more intensity, you have to have a slight uphill blips and then drop down and recover a little bit. But you can still continue to build throughout as long as you start down lower because you're adding in some intensity. And then you can build as high as you can sustain. And then we reach the final peaking, and now it's a downhill ramp. Every week you're reducing down because your intensity is skyrocketing. So you ramp up, blip uphill like a heartbeat, and then you ramp down. That's how your volume flow of the week or of the year looks. Yeah, and I think one of... If you get anything out of this little blip about like in-season training, I think the most important thing that I will say in this episode is that when people see races on their calendar coming up, they're approaching, they instantly go, I got to go to the track and do 800 meter repeats and I got to run them really hard, but take lots of rest. I need to overspeed train. And they're like, I need to hit mile repeats with lots of rest and run really fast and really hard so that I'm race ready. And everybody just shortcuts the process. They forget about their threshold work. Their fitness slowly erodes. And by the end of their racing season, they're flat. And they're actually not running as well as they did in the very beginning when they were focusing on threshold work. Mm -hmm. So the in-season, you don't see a race on your calendar and you're suddenly like VO2 max, big time, hate my life workouts every week, twice a week. That is a way to dead end your fitness before you even get to the end of your season. And so that's why the threshold focus is still going to be the best way to race, extend your season to duration, and stay fit for a long time versus running into your ceiling early. And so the biggest mistake people make is they see the races coming up on their calendar and they think, I need speed work right now. And they go over speed train with lots of rest and that doesn't hold fitness very long. No, it doesn't. And that will set up what the peaking phase is about. Yeah. And you can race very, very close to your ceiling off of just this type of 30 to 60 minute race fitness in terms of speed intervals. That threshold work, 30 to 60 minute interval style workouts, 30 to 60 minute race pace covers the wide range of what you're going to run. Unless you're running a 5K or under race, that is all the speed you'll ever need. Now, in terms of the sting and the nastiness of the race, yeah, you need that from time to time which is why you throw in time trials and you throw in some race sims here and there, but you don't need it often 
because the more body, the bigger the body of work you put together, the less you need to really go in on specific blocks to get tough because your engine's just grown so big. So that, let's say mountain running, that feeling of burning up the last few climbs and that race sting, you're going to get that piece by piece over your quality long runs with threshold in it. OCR, that feeling of really burning and having to fight at the end of the race, that's not a speed component. You're running slow at the end of an OCR race (laughs) for the most part. That's a compromised running burn that you need to feel, but you get that during your compromised threshold work. So you don't need too many sharpening spicy sessions to get ready for it. In fact, you should try to have the least possible so that you save a peak for when you need it. Yeah. So let's talk about the peak then. So in the in the in season phase, we're reaching volume and intensity are an all time high. They're all culminating where maybe you're hitting the most volume you have all year. You're also on your long run, you got threshold intervals and you still accumulated fifteen miles on feet and it's like, holy smokes, I am I am layering this cake with all sorts of sprinkles and frosting and mm-hmm. doodads and everything. And this this is a fancy cake. Now I got so much going on and now you're starting to feel a little beat up. You're starting to overreach. You're feeling a little more dull. You might be crabby with your husband or your wife a little bit, wondering why. This is the overreaching phase, which is good. It's going to induce adaptation. But now we hit the peak. We're like three to six weeks out from our A race, let's call it. Three to five, ideally. Mm -hmm. And now we start to go down the backside of the mountain into the peaking phase, just to tee up there. That's what it should look like in in an ideal world. Exactly. When you think of your volume here, This isn't ingredients we're talking about anymore. This is the actual volume. Every little piece of intensity that goes in, a piece of volume has to come out. That's how we balance this equation. So week one or two of this peaking, you are removing a threshold session or a long run and making it 5K effort or faster. VO2 max or faster. And so for every one of those sessions you put in, take out about 5 to 10% volume. So week one, you put one in, drop your volume down 10%. Week two, you're keeping it there, keep it there. Week three, you add in a second session. Now you've got two in. Now you're dropping another 10% off your volume. Now week four, you're, you're completely removing your long run and your speed sprinkle, and you're doing two very spicy sessions and a third maybe semi-spicy. Now you drop it down another 10%, and then it's race week. So you just keep, for every piece you put in, you take another 5 to 10% of volume out. And that's a really, I mean, are there more dialed into you scientific ways of doing it? Yes. But we're speaking to the masses. That's a good, safe place to start. So what that would look like is if you've built up to 50 miles per week, off threshold work twice per week, a speed sprinkle, and every other weekend's a long run or a quality long run. Now you you take one threshold session out and you plug in a fast, intense, stinging race simulation type session. And now you're dropping down to 45 miles that week. And the next week, you add a second one, you drop down to 40. Third week, you tr- you put in a simulation in there and a really intense interval session, you're at 35. And next week, you race. That's pretty safe step down. It's maybe not perfect, but you can't really go wrong with it. I think the cake part of the cake is threshold work, even when we are in the peaking phase. Mm-hmm. So what that would look like is, yes, now we're hitting hard intervals with more rest to allow you to run fast your heart rates let's say your lactate threshold's 170 you may be hitting 180 at the end of your five minute repeat on your tuesday session you are you are putting out as i call it you're putting out 
And then maybe in your long run, instead of going two hours, you're now going 90 minutes, but you're also adding 30 minutes of in and out threshold work, uh, progression in there, anything like that. So you're, you're combining intensity. You're seeing two good solid blips. The first blip on the training radar is going to be something like faster than race pace, pretty intense, maybe allowing rest, what we call the VO2 max, where you don't even look at your heart rate, honestly. You're going hard and you're trying to put out a good effort for the interval durations and be consistent with whatever that workout is. And then still touching threshold and sitting in there once per week. I think in your long run, which where that the duration comes down, you meet it halfway with adding more intensity. And you honestly, you sit in that format for maybe two, three weeks. And then you even pull that long run. Like Bracken said, you have two standalone quality sessions. Your long runs out the window, the a week or two out from your rate, your a race. And then race week is here. Like in an ideal world, that's how I would lay it out. I like it. So if you had four weeks of sharpening, the first two, you're removing the threshold run that is least specific to your race. And you're replacing it with a race specific or faster intensity. And then you remove the long run and replace that. And then eventually you put in one more high intensity workout. But yeah, keeping one threshold session per week is not the worst thing in the world because most of us aren't running faster than 5k pace or shorter than 5k duration in our races and so threshold's still race specific so i agree with that that's very good and yeah the long run becomes dispensable yeah if you're racing like a 5k or a mile it does if you're racing real short um then the long run can be nixed a lot earlier but i don't know how Mm -hmm. many listening are you can see i'll tell you what you can see how this gets confusing though like i'm sure now People who are still hanging on with us at this point in the episodes, like that's a lot of stuff we just threw at them. And now they're like, I don't, you have to go back and listen or re-listen and take notes. Or how do I actually know when and what to pull? And I do have an A race in the middle of the year, but then I have another one in the fall. And I don't know, what do I do now? Like, how do I, can I peak in July and then do it again in October or September? I don't really know. It's where you hire a coach, you get on a training plan. Like it's very complex stuff. It's more complex than it. We probably make it more complex than it needs to be, but anybody who cares enough about their performance, it's kind of where you're at. If you're listening to a running podcast, like this stuff matters. It makes a difference. Yeah. And what's 3% difference in your fitness? 3% difference in your fitness in a 5K could be 40 seconds a minute. That's a big difference. That matters. So that's why we split hairs like this. Yeah. Richard Diaz commented on our last two videos we posted online that our last two threshold related Instagram posts saying it's a very misunderstood and mysterious realm and it's it's important that you need an expert to guide you through it. And I I didn't agree with that about threshold. I think threshold's not mysterious. I think it's black and white. I think that there's some gray to it, but the gray all exists in the range you want it to. So I don't think threshold's that mysterious. You may need someone to guide you through it, but I don't think it's this like mysticism filled like magic voodoo that needs to be mixed up in a cauldron by an expert but that's what i believe about peaking yeah i be i believe sharpening and tapering is the most mysterious style of training of anything because it's so hard to get perfect and because you get to do it less often Threshold training, you can play with it every single week and figure out your zones. And you haven't screwed any of it up because if you miss by, like we said, 5 or 10%, you're still getting benefit. Yeah. How often do you try to taper or peak for a race? 
Not very often. And so if you get it wrong, sometimes you have to wait four to six months before you try it again, unless you want to try to initiate a mini peak in the middle of a a program block so that you can practice doing it. It's just you don't get volume of reps and everyone responds slightly different to tapering. And so it's really the hardest thing to get correct. So I would say this is the dark, mysterious void. This is the, the, there's some guesswork and there's some mysticism and you also need a master hand to guide you or you just need a ton of reps to get it right. I think this is the hardest part of training to actually figure out and nail. Yeah, it's true because it's like if everything in an ideal theoretical world comes together on race day in the perfect scenario, it's like you have access and still have retained all of your threshold ability to run in threshold. You've somehow come around And your VO2 max is at its peak for the season because you've been hitting those punchy intervals of three to seven minutes and it's just beautiful. And your biomechanical efficiency is at an all-time high because you've been keeping your strides in, you know, once a week. And not only that, somehow those have all neared their peak at the same time. You've also reduced volume and you're fresh enough to go use them all on the same day. It's like I have no fatigue somehow and all of my fitness is still here. That window could literally be like, 10 to 21 days and sometimes even narrower than that it's like what like how do you get every meter on the like every bar on the graph metered perfectly and all of it to happen while your fatigue is at an all-time low it's like nearly an impossible task and we rarely nail it perfectly but we try to get close and that's why it's so complex yeah no you're absolutely right and there's some good news here the first is that the, the taper matters a whole lot less than sharpening matters or peaking. Let's call it peaking. Tapering versus peaking. Tapering is just removing workload and recovering. Peaking is pushing your numbers up through spikes of intensity and reduction of, of work. Peaking is very difficult. Tapering is very easy. Tapering is just removing fatigue. And the good news is that the further your race is up the ladder in distance the less peaking matters and the more tapering matters the slower your race is going to be the less you just don't want fatigue in your body the faster and more intense it is the more you need every percentage out of your body to move the needle on race day and then sharpening matters so track athletes need to nail peaking right marathoners have some wiggle room mountain races have a ton of wiggle room Ultras have all the wiggle room in the world. So even though it is this crazy hard thing to get right 100% of the time, you can err on the side of resting up and making sure that you're ready. So you don't have to spend as much time going all in on crazy workouts in order to get it right if you're racing over the 30-minute mark. World-class athletes would disagree, and they should. I'm very glad you clarified that. If anything, make sure you show up to the start line able to access the fitness you've worked hard for. And that means charging up by tapering, but for short stingy races is what we're, that window is very narrow and it's complex, but you are right. The longer the race, the more luxury you have to miss left of center and still show up and have a great race. And so that's a good comfy pillow to sleep on. I would go so far as to say that if you're racing longer than one hour for sure, 90 minutes, maybe the safest way for you to proceed is train all the way up to the week before and then reduce volume a little bit in race. And you're going to be fine. Yeah. Reduce the last two weeks into your race and you'll be fine. You don't have to sharpen because you've nailed all your workouts this whole time. 
Whereas track athletes, 5K athletes are like, I'm struggling to hit anything and I'm almost tipped over this whole time and they need to really fine tune things. We don't need to do that for most of the time, for most of it. Mm-hmm. And, and just one little bit on the reps. I talked in the preseason, if speed work is anything from, let's say, 800 meter race pace to 5K and could be anywhere from 20 seconds to seven minutes, maybe. The preseason, we're working on the lowest half of all that. Tapering with sharpening, with peaking, we're working on the other side of the spectrum. We're staying in that 3K to 5K range in that three to five, maybe seven minute reps. So you're doing the hardest version of it late and the earliest, the easiest version early. That's what you're putting in at mm-hmm. the end there. From our speed work, uh, speed uh, quality session um, podcast we did, the speed work episode, we're taking the hard part of that. The 5K worker, slightly faster, three-minute-plus intervals. That's what we're plugging in as we're uh, peaking. A lot of information today, folks. You may be still scratching your head a little bit, and that's okay. Puzzles are complicated. Mm-hmm. Putting them together can take some work and some thought. But hopefully they have some takeaways. I don't have anything else I want to add or for the sake of time. Um, I'm glad you wrapped up with that. Um, we're trying to put a bow tie on it here. Uh, maybe some more questions and answers. I think if I were listening to this and didn't really understand periodization terribly well, which we're still learning ourselves, let's not kid ourselves. Yes, this is our profession, but I don't know if I could say I'm an expert. I don't know if I'll ever say that. Um, you know, we we're here for questions, I guess, but anything else you want to wedge in there? I just want to make both camps feel happy. If you're the person that doesn't think some of this applies to you, that's okay. I want to remind people of uh, Gustav Eden versus Christian Blumenfeld, mm-hmm. the two world champion triathletes from Norway. At the They train together almost every day. They're in, coached by the same people. At the end, right before world championships for the Ironman, they had to start tapering differently because Christian needed more threshold or Christian needed more VO2 max work and Gustav needed more threshold work or vice versa. Maybe it was vice versa. Christian needed more threshold because they realized their numbers were going in different directions. So if you're listening thinking, this doesn't seem how I respond, then that tells you what you need to know. Because even the two best people in the world mm-hmm. needed their last 14 days to look totally different because one type of tapering workout caused someone's threshold to plummet and it caused the other person's <laughs> to skyrocket. So knowing yourself really does matter. I agree. And then to the other side, if none of this makes sense, Kirk's right, hire a coach. And I I don't often plug on here, but... I have a few spots right now. Kirk, do you have some spots? I think I might have two. Two. You might have two. Exactly. I have a few more than two right now. And so if you need help with this, we can help you with it. If you're tired of listening to us, there are other really good coaches out there who can help you with this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So if you get to the end of these things and think, I get it all, but I don't know. I still know how to make this cake. Ask someone to help you. Making cake is hard. I don't really know how to make cake, to be honest with you. I'm no baker. I I leave it to the professionals. I'm pleased. Hopefully you guys are pleased. Uh, We'll see you on Friday for a guest interview. Right? We hope so. We've had a good run of bad luck with people ditching on us lately, but but, uh, I got confidence this week. So I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you guys then. 